Chris, I think it's time that uh, we uh, relaunch the show uh, in a new direction. Oh, what's uh, that? I think that uh, today's manga-consuming uh, people, they don't want, you know, jokey jokes and, and fun times and diversions. They they want stuff to be taken seriously. So we're going to rebrand the show okay. as, as Weekly Manga. Okay. Fuck the fuck recap. Fuck the recap. Uh, and uh, we better get some, ourselves some new theme song. So let's get a slowed down version of a song that nobody likes, uh, I, uh, that no one will actually even be able to identify. But it'll be you know it'll, it'll feature oh. you know like soft soft singing you know. What about All Star or Smash Mouth when the morning comes? <laughs> okay. I don't even know that song. Yeah, that's that. It's a song so nobody likes. When, when so get, the morning comes, so we change it. When the manga comes, boom. Uh, so we're gonna change it a little bit, and we're gonna, you know, uh, have you know some slow piano music and a tortured sounding female singer. Okay. Uh, and uh, we're going to have uh, Annalise is gonna come in. Uh, we're going to be the ones that she's been looking for because there is a monster inside of her. There's a darkness. and uh, But her mother's told her the monsters aren't real. Uh, and we're, people are going to uh, look at us and uh, they're going to just remember us from the Transmission Awesome days. So they're going to be like, where's Sean and Pa? And we'll be like, fuck Sean and Pa! <laughs> I mean, I do shout that regularly, though. Should we, like, <laughs> ought to amp it up? Ought to be like, Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I I went to bed, Chris, this okay. morning, directly after I saw the trailer for the new Titans show online. Like you it was, it? you know, late for me because uh, because I, I work at night and I sleep in the day and it's like, you know, 1030 in the morning. And all of a sudden I see people talk about Titans. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And I watch it. I'm like, Oh, no. And I had to go to bed with that on my mind. It's a rough. That's a rough deal of it. You had to sleep with that. Your dreams were probably about you being really disappointed by this. I mean, like if uh, if this had come out, you know, seven or eight years ago, then this would have been the last Airbender instead of mm. the last Air, because you know, cartoon that was very much you know part of my formative years in middle and high school, uh, and uh, then ton completely wrong because the the, uh, creators decided no it needs to be serious and dark and there should be no humor to it yeah uh you know it it definitely seemed to fulfill that notion of like guys i know we've been a little bit silly with some of our shows in the past i'm like yeah those are the ones that have been very successful so they're like let's push it in the opposite direction (laughs) In fact, let's not just go in and up in the opposite direction. Let's take a show that was silly and had, you know, kid appeal and then just strah, disembowel it. Oh, my God. I thought that I, and if, if we were going to talk about, like, uh, a new adaptation on this show, I was originally thinking that maybe we would you know, just make some jokes about how uh, about Shira, you know, looking slightly less like like a supermodel. You know, <laughs> so let me talk. I, I'm going to be real here, ladies and gentlemen. I have not reached the point of cynicism where I believe She-Ra's design was intentionally done the way it was to create this internet back, like intentionally done in a way that they, they think would, would annoy man babies online to get attention. 
but sure as fuck that's the goddamn result of this because i i've heard so much about fucking she-ra and i could not give less of a shit about she-ra i always thought everyone was like oh she-ra's garbage like the whole he-man universe is just garbage it was for the toys the show was never really that great and everyone keeps talking about this she-ra thing i don't give a fuck i look i i condemn certainly the dudes who are just like i don't like the way she looks it's like why do you give a fuck but I'm just like, I am hearing way too much about this she show for a show of which I could not give less of a fuck about existing. Holly uh, made a note that uh, where she said, like, I don't like the design. And it's kind of awful that, you know, now you can't hate the design without being, you know, a misogynist or, you know, th- think this or that. You know, I think it's it, people just think it's just because you don't think it's sexy now. It's like, oh, yeah, because that entire thing. The entire reason I heard about that cartoon was because of the backlash in response to it. And now you can't even have a freaking discussion about it. So hey. I, I, it's it's one of those things where I'm like, hey, they're revitalizing it. Sure. You know, they revitalize, you know, almost everything nowadays in at least mm-hmm. some fashion. So, you know, fine. Go give she a shot. Maybe it works in today's culture. They redesigned her. I, I could not care less about, like, the notion of, like, a new she. She could have enormous like rocket launcher tits i probably would have still exactly zero opinion on this so i'm just like i just don't care guys you need to put some property in here i can give a fuck about for me to have to like a, yeah. a thought to weigh in on now clearly what we if need they to were do. like if they were the, if that was the redesign for like a new younger sexier golden girls i'd be infuriated it'd be non-stop tweets every five minutes i'd be like this is an outrage but she-ra no one gives a fuck about she-ra Clearly, what we need to do is we need to go in the opposite direction, take a uh, franchise that was very innocent and kid friendly and then sexy it up. So we're going to take, you know, uh, Barney the dinosaur and just make him into a hot woman that just that just is just purple. You know, like, hold on. What's what, what's the name of like the the old uh, it's like the, the Saturday morning comic. It was like the little girl with really curly hair and like a red bow. Hold on. You lost me. <laughs> uh, comic strip. Little really curly girl. hair and a red bow. Uh, red bow. I is it Madeline? Um, she didn't have curly no hair. Nancy. That's it. Yeah, like Nancy. She's the girl. She always wore like the little dress that had like the little red bow and had very curly hair. We're gonna take I've... Nancy. We're gonna we're gonna age her up, and she's a sex kitten now. I've never heard of this before. I guarantee you. Hold on. Let me open. Newspaper comic Nancy? Yeah. Yeah, Let me look at this real quick. I don't know how to send it to you at this point. So I'm just going to throw it into. (laughs) I'm going to just throw it into the chat. I have literally never heard of her. So. Well, that's why she's the great target, Nick. She's very sweet and innocent. We never really heard of her. Boom! We're gonna bu- we're gonna bump her up a notch. Give her, her some, some tri- give her some triple D's. Yeah. Get some TNA in that, Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. Nasty Nancy is what they'll call her now. Nasty Nancy. Yeah. No, 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 no. Naughty Nancy. Ooh. That's a bit more playful. Hmm. And she's got and she'll like just be constantly like. She'll just, like, be naked, but there will just be things in front of, uh, you know, the private bits. You know, just things, like, floating by. Like like the steam in manga, Chris, which we're going to have to talk about later. Yes. Anyway, that's as good a transition as any. Let's talk about manga. Uh, okay. So, we didn't have any My Hero Academia last week. Let's begin our recap portion with the manga recap. So, we pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. 
with uh, Endeavor seemingly making his last stand against the new form of Nomu with uh, Hawk's feathers forming wings on his back that were also on fire, because why not? Uh, and that's how we kick off My Hero Academia, chapter number 190, his start. Uh, and uh, he punches the Nomu in the mouth, literally. Like, his fist, like, goes through its teeth. Uh, and, uh, as he's kind of barreling through it, it's like chewing on his arm, which is all nasty. Uh, and Endeavor is like, Jesus, I'm blasting fire into his mouth, but his regeneration is still keeping up. I still need to put more into this. Uh, so he calls out to Hawks, uh, and Hawks kind of just understands what he needs to do, I guess. As uh, he gets manipulates his feathers on Endeavor's back to push them up higher into the air, uh, even though Hawks is at the point where he's basically reached his limit, his he's used up basically all of his feathers and they're burning up uh, from Endeavor's flames. So he's almost out of the ability to do anything. So as they get thrown up into the sky, everyone is watching, of course, you know, both in person and on TV. And uh, Todoroki, back in the dorms at Iwe, shouts out to his father, I'm watching you! Because he is. Uh, maybe he's do just, you think he heard him? Yeah, maybe he's just, like, declaring his actions. Maybe that's, like, Todoroki's new thing. You know, he's always, you know, the stern, quiet one. Now maybe, you know, occasionally he'll just, like, declare things that are going on. Just, you know, I'm eating breakfast! <laughs> He's like, I'm sleepy. <laughs> Four hours later. I'm a whistle bomb. <laughs> no, I can't sleep. <laughs> so they launched up into the air. And uh, Endeavor uh, b- basically unleashes all of his power. Uh, he, s- he says to himself, you're me, my past, or a future that might have been. Now burn and fade away. Uh, because he has realized at this point that the Nomu is obsessed with being the strongest, the defeating strong opponents. So he recognizes that aspect of his personality within it. And he's trying to literally burn it away and get re- and eliminate it. Uh, he does so by fucking incinerating the thing, declaring... That he has always hated that stupid school motto, but calling this technique plus ultra prominence burn. I mean, you don't have to say plus ultra just to, you know, maybe that's like the secret code word in this universe. If you say plus ultra, it's going to be super awesome. Yeah, it's like, um, like it's Morphin Time or uh, Henshin, a go-go or whatever they say in those other shows. Like, it's just what you need to do to use your ultra attack. Right. Uh, so he burns it up. Hawks' feathers have been burned up at this point, so the Nomu and uh, Endeavor fall to the ground, or or plummet. And uh, some of the heroes that have uh, appeared on the ground for support realize, oh shit, we gotta catch him. Uh, So everyone rushes over, there's a big crash on the ground. Everyone's like, oh god. But, when the smoke clears, uh, Endeavor is standing with one fist raised in triumph. And everyone's like, oh, my God, he's doing All Might's pose. Uh, 
in victory to signal his start. And we cut back to the dorms and Todoroki is just, I think that he's basically just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> uh there is a cool little moment uh, before we get into the big thing that happens at the end of the chapter where you know, Hawks brushes over and he, you know, he kind of leans Endeavor shoulder to lean on. He's like, hey, you know, you're doing all my suppose. And Endeavor's like, no, he uses his left arm. I raised my right. <laughs> Very original. Do not steal. <laughs> Which I do really like that detail. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun joke, but it's, it's like, no, I'm different. Shut up. <laughs> uh Endeavor kind of scolds himself because, like, oh, this was actually a really bad start for me, even though we won. But Hawk says, hey, you know, this victory of yours was really huge. So let's, you know, go treat your wounds. Uh, and uh, but while they're off separated from everyone else, all of a sudden, Dobby emerges, Dobby of the League of Villains. And he and he says, you know, this isn't how I planned it, but that's fine. Endeavor. Should I say, nice to meet you? He also looks really awesome in this picture, I should say. Very threatening. He's very creepy. Uh, what do you think Dobby's here for? He says his plants didn't go quite the way he was thinking, but he's introducing himself. Well, I get the feeling that uh, they probably have something in mind for Endeavor uh, and or Hawks, probably primarily Endeavor. Um, maybe they're just planning on taking him out to be like, hey, we're still here. Because that would be a pretty good way of, uh, you know, declaring themselves. You know, all for one took out All Might, but he also had to basically sacrifice himself to do it. So the Leo Villains would make a very strong statement by taking out the new number one hero if they could manage to do so. Part of me wonders if it's supposed to be something different than that. Like, it's worth noting that Endeavor and Hawks are both essentially out of combat right now. Like, Endeavor's <laughs> exhausts himself, Hawks has no feathers left, so... Presumably neither of them are at huge strength. And the only person here is Dobby, who's been kind of operating independently for a while. Like, we we still believe he's part of the, the league. But... He, he definitely is, because he showed up when they uh, took out uh, Overhaul. Yeah, but there is, like, an odd thing where I wonder if this is maybe something more personal. I don't know. I, mm -hmm. Part of me wonders if it's going to be something less extreme than that. Based solely on the fact that it's only Dobby here. You'd like to think that if, if this was like the League of Villains making a statement, then the entire League would have just shown up right now or something like that. Oh, it's possible, I suppose. Um, they, I mean, they could very well just be right off panel, <laughs> right behind him, uh, you know, still mass in the smoke. And I also think that there's probably more than just him involved in this in general because, you know, the Nomu are there. And uh, I don't think that he had the ability to just create and you know, manipulated a Nomu by himself. There has been a fan theory going around that Dobby might be one of Endeavor's failures, one of his children that he cast aside because of his firepower now, or his fire quirk. Uh, I have never really, you know, taken that necessarily seriously because I think that there can be people with similar quirks who aren't necessarily related. But I get the impression that since this is the first nearly one-on-one -on -one confrontation between Endeavor and Dobby, that we might get some confirmation or disapproval of that theory uh, at this point. So I'm looking forward to, to that. Yeah, I can dig it. I like this chapter. Uh, I like uh, Endeavor having this kind of cool moment, you know, the raising the arm in victory, signaling it. I, I like the, you know, the 
dichotomy too of like everyone being like that's crazy what an awesome hero what an arrival and him just like oh man i really fucked that up <laughs> being, really, being the realist about it yeah, yeah. i really boned that one up hardcore so i guess we'll see what happens next week all right uh from there then we are gonna move on to food wars Yoki no soma Nick, let's just skip over nothing happened in food nothing wars happened nothing important food wars 271 the son of the greatest so last time uh Thank you, phone. Uh, last time... Does your phone's every- ring alert sound like a cool mystery, like a clue just fa- found out, like a cool mystery story? Like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like a Phoenix Wright effect. <laughs> yeah, like you're just like, wait a minute, is that a bullet? <laughs> Phoenix just discovers that, uh, that the villain is actually Saiba's son. Oh, spoilers, shit. Uh, <laughs> so... Last time, uh, Soma and Megumi had heard from King Guy that uh, the person who uh, had sent out the Quisniers Noir to Japan to cause mayhem was calling himself Saiba, as in Saiba Joichiro, Soma's father. So, we uh, begin with basically the uh, Council of Ten uh, gathering together to discuss their findings together with uh, Arena. Notably, uh, Hayama and Kurokiba and Alice all are not there, presumably because they're all still fighting each other. So, which means that um, of the uh, nine people gathered, one is Arena, seven are members of the Council of Ten, and one is just the younger Aldini brother. (laughs) When I first saw this panel, I had to stop and I was like, the shitty fucking younger Aldini brother didn't make the Council of Ten, did he? No, he did not. Yeah. No, it's the it's the other seven there, and then it's Alice, I am a Kurokiba. <laughs> Which I guess it makes sense that they're not there because they weren't sent out on missions by Arena, so they don't really have findings to discuss. I assume they're just but... back at the school. Like, so, like, did you see the movie Tag at all? I really wanted to, but I didn't get around to it. So, like, you see in the trailer, there's, like, a scene where they're all trying to, like, tag each other really quick and it pass up. I imagine <laughs> that's what the three of them are doing <laughs> in school. They're just, like, cooking things attached to each other. I got to your seat! I got to your seat! I got to your seat! And, like, just meanwhile, taking, just there's... Just taking each seats, yeah. And meanwhile, there's, like, a pull, like a dorm that's on fire. <laughs> just like, don't worry, we left the school in capable hands. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really want to see that movie. Was it good? It's It's funny... It's unfortunately most of the best jokes are in the trailer. There still are good jokes in there, but the trailer is amazing and the movie isn't as amazing yeah. as that. If you want a really good one to watch though, Game Night. A hundred percent Game Night was fucking. I wasn't tra- I wasn't trained by that one. And that, that'll probably be like out on DVD and I stuff now. It, so. I think it's already out, yeah. It's it that one's great. I could also give you a very quick review of the Mr. Rogers documentary if you'd like. Uh sure, why not? Might as well crank out all of our movie talking one yeah, go. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Sorry, Food Wars. Very good. Uh, very sad. Humanized him in a very interesting way. Hmm. Because, like, one of his sons is in, like, one of the first people. And he's like, yeah, it was really tough. It was like having the second coming of Christ as a dad. And I was like, that was where I was kind of worried. But then they go to show, like, oh, man, he was just riddled with self-doubt and, and like, worry about his own mistakes. They have like a touching moment. Like they, they show the song that Daniel the Tiger sang about being a mistake. And like Lady, what's her name? Anna, whatever, was like singing with him. And like, she's like, no, you're not a mistake. And they're like, 
Yeah, you'd expect that song to be like Daniel Tiger being like, oh, I'm not a mistake. Great. Instead, he came back in and it's a duet of him being like, I'm a mistake and her trying to be like, no, you're not. But the moment that hit the hardest is the very end of it. They start doing there's like Fred had this technique where he's like, think of the, the, the people whose smile makes you smile, whose laugh makes you laugh and whose love makes you love. And for the next minute, just think about that. And as they're doing it, they're cutting to everybody who they've had in the movie and occasionally like interjecting with somebody being like, oh, who were you thinking of? Like, oh, my mother or like, oh, my best friend or something like that. And while I was in the theater, and this scene's happening. It's already like a touching scene because you've gone through the whole movie. And this is like a very poignant kind of moment, like to Fred's philosophy. This old couple's in front of me. And I could see the husband like reach over and grab his wife's hand. Oh! And, like, and I was like, you cocksuckers! You fucking cocksuckers! You can't do this to me! I'm uh, in the movie too! Fuck you! Oh, that, I'm experiencing that secondhand and I'm tearing up. That's beautiful. <laughs> I was like, god damn it! Yeah, very good movie. I'm not going to be able to finish this podcast. It's fine. They probably didn't die on the way home. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I didn't follow them home, but... Oh, man. Oh, God. Okay, so... Uh, let's talk about a, a more troubled family now uh, in this series. So... This chapter kind of runs through all of the, like, you know all the internet discussion about the chapter, you know, in one go, <laughs> you know, Aaron has immediately like, Simon wouldn't do that. What? No, no. Is that right? Yukihira? And so was just like, well, I mean, it is my dad. Maybe he got drunk that night and just, you know, accidentally <laughs> revealed all that stuff about Shokugeki's. And Takumi's like, you should have a more faith in your father. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on now. And he points out, well, someone else could have just been using the name Saiba to work their mischief. And Arian's like, yes, that has to be it. Uh, so then all of a sudden, Kurakiba is like, who is this Saiba guy anyway? Because <laughs> none of them know anything about Joichiro. So Ishiki gives a little recap for uh, the, th- the three former council members, former and now current council members who don't know anything about him. And there's this weird little exchange between Kinokuni and Soma, because Kinokuni's like, ah, so that is where one of the secrets of your strength lies. And Soma's like, the one of my, the one of my what now? Just, Shut up. Nothing. I said nothing. Is she, is she Sun-Sun for him? Is that what's going on, Chris? I don't think so. I thought she, I thought she was Sun-Sun for Ishiki. Yeah, she can't I be thought... Sun-Sun for two people. That'd be, that'd be yes, you can. You can have crushes on two people. No, it's impossible, Nick. Impossible. It's, it, it's a scientific fact. Boy, girl, boy, girl. That's how it goes. If you're going to have crushes on multiple people, you have to be a guy who has five girls minimum having a crush on him and then he can't choose between them girls can't have multiple crushes on guys that's the only way it's fair (laughs) like life i mean is fair as long as boys can have multiple yeah the guys gonna have their their pick of the litter (laughs) that's the only because it's been so hard on dudes you know guys have had it pretty hard forever when you Mm -hmm. think about it Mm -hmm. They always had to it's, lift the heavy things. And it's only fair if fix 20 all girl- the cars. I presumably it's, do. It's only fair if twenty hot women want to jump on me. You know what? So, uh, 
Soma just decides to take the most direct route about figuring this out and just calls his down his cell phone. He says, like, I mean, he hardly ever answers this thing, but I might as well try. And then he immediately answers the phone. And he's like, oh, 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 hey, Dad. Yeah, I got to ask you something. <laughs> so and he just basically, like, rambles everything out. And he wasn't expecting his dad to answer. So it comes out in a kind of a garble. And he's like, so do you know anything about the noir and all this going around calling himself Saiba? And he's like, uh. Yeah, actually, I do know him. He's my other son. <laughs> and so it's like, what? <laughs> Say what now? The brother? <laughs> and so it's like, so Joey Kuchura just says, oops, gotta go. Bye. <laughs> um, so it turns out Joichiro is in the middle of going to start a Shokugeki with the guy calling himself Saiba was apparently his second son and uh, a brief panel of skipping happens and when we come back Saiba's lost to Shokugeki 5 nothing uh no nick Saiba defeated Joe Joeichiro Saiba has lost to Asahi Saiba 5 nothing <laughs> I'm just, I'm confused why is it Joe I, presumably they're in America, so and Joey Tro. And they were just Joe. like, they'll just call him Joey then. Yeah. <laughs> but they were like, Saiba makes sense. So, yeah, well, I mean, what are you going to call him? Like, <laughs> call him so, uh, Santa. So, it's very similar letters. Saiba stands over his father, apparently, and says, I'm Asahi Saiba, which is a good name, right? Heh. <laughs> Hey. He's very amused by himself. Uh, and then he says that he's going to Japan now. There's someone I have to meet. Uh, and he's like tucking his bandana down. And that's where the chapter ends, basically. Because we cuts over to, to Soma and everyone is like gathered on his cell phone looking worried. Uh, so apparently uh, Joichiro had a second son. A secret second son that nobody knew about. And he's the most awesome chef in the galaxy. And he beat Saiba Joichiro. Uh, this is so difficult. Very easily. So. I'll be honest. I don't mind this. It's a twist, but. Like, that kind of comes out of left field. But that's honestly what kind of has to happen with a lot of these series for a while. Like, you're like, oh, we need another arc? All right, well, we'll be interesting. And they're like, well, we'll just add the elements to make sense for it all. Um, it doesn't bother me. I will admit, I only wish this chapter ended with Soma on the other line being like, I have a brother? Like, like nonchalant. Because <laughs> those are the best Soma scenes. When he's the guy who's just like, he, he was just on the other end, confused instead of actually being concerned about yeah. his, his when he has a when he has a Luffy moment basically yeah like it's it's one of the, like because he even has it when he first hears like oh that's my other son he's like huh <laughs> like I wanted that to be the end of the chapter he's just like what <laughs> second son dad are you still there <laughs> I this is such a oh man if fan fiction has taught me anything Chris when there is a secret sibling of the main character introduced out of nowhere. They have to be a self-insert female love interest for the hot guy in the series. So clearly what should have happened is Asuka 
Saiba should have been introduced, and she's the best chef in the world. But Takumi is watching the Shokugeki between the two of them, and he immediately falls in love with her amazing cooking, and they go off and they make out together. So, on fanfiction.net, this would have gotten a I don't buy this review for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I see why people could be annoyed by this, but I'm just kind of, I don't know. I'm just sort of excited with the idea of like an evil Soma when the good one isn't even that great. <laughs> the good one's still pretty big, like a pretty big. He's asshole. just like, he's just serious about everything. He never loses focus. <laughs> he is all business about everything. Well, they, they he kind of has the same like manner of speaking and everything when he's just like, oh yeah, there's someone I have to meet. Like he has that kind of weird sort of angst, like accent that Soma has. So presumably, like, the notion's like, oh, it's, like, just an evil version of Soma, which I'm, I'm kind of excited for. All right. All right, so this is Eden Zero time? Yes, it is. Let's move on to Chapter 4 of that series. Eden Zero, Chapter 4, Norma. Uh, so they're on the spaceship, the... Aqua Wing. I forgot that was the name of it. Rebecca's ship, the Aqua Wing, and she's showing Shiki around, and she's like, here's your room. Uh, you know, you can stay in here whenever you get tired. And he's like, why? I don't mind sharing the same room as you. And I'll admit, I'm really hoping this isn't a character trait that stays around, because they did it last time. You know time. it is. You know, know it is, is but it's like... He's Natsu. He's Natsu, Chris. It's the same thing Natsu had, where it's like, I'm so weirdly raised that I don't understand I why don't there'd have be barriers, boundaries yeah. at all. Yeah, it's like, fuck off, man. <laughs> like, you can't keep doing it. It's like, is it that sexy of a thing? I don't know. Uh, they mentioned, like, oh, yeah, you can run the ship all by itself, but she's like, oh, well, I can pilot. And they're like, oh, wait, that'd be great. We could do a group video where an amateur dude flies a spaceship for the first time. I actually do admire the dedication to, yes, we'll do it for the vine of, of these characters. And they immediately fucking crashes, apparently. <laughs> and she's just like, she's angry. She's like, I can't believe it. You crashed a, a spaceship. And he's like, yeah, did you get a good video? And I guess she's angry like, you bet I did. Uh, but then he lifts the spaceship up using his, his ether gear power. And we actually get a pretty cool scene because we see Rebecca grab onto this like little heart dice necklace thing. Mm -hmm. And she's like, yeah, I have an alarm set to change when the weather becomes unusual. And we get this two page spread where we see like these giant crystalline pillars essentially emerge from the atmosphere. And she explains that they're crystals of earth ether. And this planet has a lot of it, so crystallizing the upper atmosphere. And essentially, that's what rains on this planet. It's just like giant pillars of crystal. It's a really cool thing. It's a nice way of, you know, establishing how the world works and why the society and the world is set up the way that it is. It feels like a very complete kind of fantasy, very, very one piece kind of, you know, the ge geography is so fucked up that everything is built around it. We've had like Kira's always had an ability to create yeah. interesting sort of things when he wants to, like interesting the uh, worlds, I guess, to a certain extent. Yeah, we just got so little of it in the in the end of Fairy Tale. It was just, and they're in a giant field with no features. <laughs> uh, but uh, we have a moment where she, he's like, 
wait a minute, what's ether? And they're like, you use ether gear and you don't know. And they explain that it's the source of all power. They, you know, it's, it's that fucking like Thor moment where they're just like, in some universes, they would have called us gods. We're actually just very scientifically advanced humans. And then eventually, by the end of it, like the Thor universe movie's like, all right, I guess there's magic too. <laughs> there's a lot here. Uh, but yeah, they're like, yeah, this used to be in some places they'd call this magic, but everyone has it, you know. And the way ether gear works is it kind of like reconstitutes your ether flow into a different configuration, like a machine. Got it. Then they go beneath the planet, because that's where the actual civilization is. So, you know, beneath sort of like the actual crust of the planet, because otherwise they'd be crushed by the giant raining pillars of crystal all the time. Uh, and it's all covered with a bunch of different people, and essentially, like, the fucking porgs from Last Jedi. Uh, <laughs> and they, they go to find Professor Weiss. And when they get there... Rebecca, uh, Rebecca's just like, huh, I wonder where he is. And Cheeky puts on x-ray glasses. And we almost see him look at Rebecca. I was actually, I was actually confused about this. So he looks at, he looks at Happy and Curiosity. You know, so he sees Happy's robo body beneath the fur. So he's like, huh. And then he puts them back on. And, you know, Rebecca turns over to him and she's like, hey, what are you doing? And and so you see that he basically definitely sees her boobs because, you know, the panel line just cuts off her nipples. But I am confused as to like, was he deliberately trying to check her out or was he just like confused by the specs? <laughs> I think he's just it's just stupid fan service for the sake of it. Uh, but before anything else can happen, someone comes Clearly in. Clearly what, what would happen when this guy comes in. Shika should have looked over and gotten an eyeful of him. Mm, he's just like, holy shit. <laughs> You've got a robot cock? <laughs> Equal opportunity fan service. Not this series. Uh, so the person comes in and says, nobody move. And they're like, well, who are you? He's like, that's my line. What are you doing in your house? And Rebecca's like, your house? I thought this is where Professor Weiss lives. He says, Professor? And they're like, yeah, you know, Professor. Professor Weiss Steiner. He fixed me. And he says... Why Steiner is my name. So who in the cosmos are you people? And we get this reaction series of panels where everyone's like, what? What's going on? Cheeky's just like, aha, you're younger than I thought. And then we cut to 20,000 so <laughs> years later. And there's two robot people who are investigating the planet. They're, they're, like, astro they're astronauts, Chris. Yeah, sure. And they're like, we found two they've bodies. Ju they've just they've just found Rita Repulse's uh, atomic, uh, you know, galactic spanning dumpster. Well, and they, <laughs> they find two human bodies, one man and one woman. One's holding a, a red uh, a white rock. The other one's holding a black rock. We won't find out who they are until the end of season five. But it is the mystery of the Adam and Eve skeletons that really haunts Lost Viewers. Anyway, they find bodies and they're like, oh, hey, one of them had this cube thing. I've never seen anything like it. What's on it? Eden's zero, and we see a faraway shot of what looks like a planet breaking apart and dissolving into dust? Mm-hmm. So, I guess this series is going to have some time travel shenanigans to it? I'm not sure. I think that the idea is that, um, you know... Oh, 20,000 years in the future. Oh, their corpses were left after, you know, this planet was being destroyed and stuff. But I don't know. 
Well, the, um, the reason I say that is because we have, uh, I think it, it's already kind of happened now where they know why Steiner in the future, but somehow they're in a situation where they're, they're seeing a younger version of himself. Because it's not, the thing that kind of takes me off to that is when they're like, this is where Professor Weiss lives. And he's like, Professor? So maybe he hasn't become a professor yet? And that's the situation. I mean, it could just be his fucking son, and I'm, I'm maybe reading into it, but... It seems weird to also include, like, well, we're jumping 20,000 years into the future to give you some clue about something. I mean, clearly the point of this ending is to make you think that uh, Shiki and Rebecca and Happy all died on this world somehow. And that's why the cue was left behind and stuff. Um, but uh, it is definitely there's some weird stuff going on. And I'm not even going to really bother to make predictions until we get another chapter because this information was just dumped on you to think, make you think one thing. So just out of curiosity, I guess I guess she did speak to the, the receptionist at the guild, but I was trying to think I was like, did Irma or whatever her fucking stupid name is, did she actually interact with like the timeline we know, or is this gonna be a thing where we find it like, oh shit, it's two different timelines interacting. We didn't realize <laughs> it or something like that. Uh, you're asking about something uh, very complex that I would need to actually go back and read the whole thing over again and while specifically looking for that to see if there could be anything to support that idea. So, I have no idea. Oh, there we go. All right. Uh, then, moving on from there, we're going to uh, close out on the jumpstart that uh, the set of jumpstarts that we had this time around. Uh, we're going to first cover a little bit of Alice and Tayo. Uh, they play the gig that uh, they had uh, because they were replacing the one douchebag who wanted to get into Alice's pants. Uh, and they do really well. And uh, Tyre realizes he really likes playing because it's actually a lot of fun, despite his stage fright and everything. Uh, he basically realizes that he's not on his own here because Alice is out there performing with them. And so he managed to actually have a good time. Uh, and uh, you can tell that Alice is singing really well because there's a lot of uh, poses of her going, uh, but you don't know the words she's singing, so. <laughs> Yay, musical manga series. Um, so, afterwards, the MC of uh, the whole thing actually comes out to talk to them, and he's like, wow, what a good job, guys. You know, you guys show confidence. What's next? You got to go pro. Just kidding. And I was just like, go pro? No way, Jin. Our sights are set on the Grammys. And they're like, what? The Grammys? And they're like, yes, the Grammys in the United States is the most prominent music award in the world. The Academy Awards are known for the movies. The Grammys music! It said the Japan... <laughs> I didn't read this part. <laughs> the Japan Record Awards were modeled after the Grammys. Previous winners have included Michael Jackson, U2, Beyonce, and Lady Gaga, to mention just a few, all of whom are known all over the world. Oh. Yeah, because every Grammy, every Grammy winner is super famous, and I... Chris. I don't think I've ever experienced, like, because there's One Piece's characters, like a rubber pirate and and all sorts of nonsense, but I don't think I've ever heard a thing in manga that's suspended my disbelief enough that someone being like, the Grammys are the pinnacle of music achievement in America. Everyone cares about the Grammys. Nick, who won best album last year? What's an album? <laughs> <laughs> I fuck, that's great. They're like, the 
their big, their Christmas bowl is a Grammy, and no one gives a fuck. <laughs> like we won a Grammy. Who are you? It's <laughs> like so. And you know, we get this big thing. It's like in the sixty-year history of the Grammys, in the four main categories, a Japanese artist has never won. I mean, that is true, I guess. Uh, so, and Tayo's like, winning a Grammy? That'd be like Japan winning the FIFA World Cup. No, even more unlikely. <laughs> they were they were in, like, the final 16 teams, weren't they? They were in, they were in the tournament, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I also don't think they're going to win anytime soon, but I don't know. I don't think that any Japanese artists has ever come close to winning the Grammys, come to think of it. But, uh, yeah, and Alice is just like, we can do it. <laughs> so they leave the concert. What's on your mind, Chris? Hold on. I'm going to look it up. Okay. They leave the concert. And uh, Tayo basically says, like, you know, I'm actually kind of disappointed in myself. Uh, I, I, our rhythm was all over the place, and I made actually a lot of errors. You know, performing live is really difficult so next time i'm gonna do better and house is like okay well how about playing music with me then and tayo says i won't regret it right and alice says who do you think i am you won't i won't let you we get this two-page spread of the two of them just shaking hands which is a nice little thing i think i like seeing you know this uh you know different sexes pairing you know being very professional honestly about their yeah, professional and platonic in their interaction. Yeah, um, and uh, so they're they have a little bit more, you know, banter. Uh, and um, you know, Tyler thinks to himself, you know, three times. On the third time, she reached out her hand. You know, he actually took it this time. I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, it. She was persistent, but he actually did accept it and, and was enthusiastic about doing so. Uh, and Alice is like, all right, let's go do this. We're going to take over the world. We're going to start off easy with the Budokan Arena, which is a very big step up. But honestly, so is this, which is that Alice gets to gets a direct message saying like, hi, pleased to make your acquaintance. My name is Kageyama and I and I am a TV director. I'm contacting you to inquire as to whether you'd be interested in a performance on TV. Okay. <laughs> you know, this is a relatively fitting end to the jump start, though, because, like, this kind of functions almost as, like, our final chapter of the series, like, with the optimism of, like, their teaming has completed, they're looking forward to the future together. Like, if they were like, yeah, this is last chapter, I'd be like, yeah, this makes sense. I feel like this closes it on enough of a note that there's, like, some level of closure to it. And then, like, there's just one panel to be like, no, no, there's a fourth chapter. <laughs> And they're going to be on TV. That's a step up all of a sudden. <laughs> well, Mick, they have to get to the Grammys, you know? Like, they gotta, there's so much effort that comes with getting to the Grammys. Right. We got to, you know, once we're, once we're 20 chapters in the series and they're performing in sold out arenas. Uh, <laughs> all right. Okay. So then uh, from there, we're going to talk about. Tight Kubo's new new series that is definitely going to be a series. Let's face it. This is probably not just going to be a one shot, but it's a one shot for now. Burn the witch. 
What a series. <laughs> what a title. I, uh, I skimmed through this the first time and didn't pay much attention. And then, like, today I was like, oh, wait, I haven't actually fully read it yet. And I fully read it, and I was like, I'm going to spoil people. This is some garbage. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, this is the actual motivation behind these characters right now? There's some good bits here and there. But it's not very good overall, I don't think. Also, I want to take a moment to talk a little bit about this cover page for uh, this one shot. First of all, the way that these mantles are sitting on these girls' shoulders, the plaid pattern shouldn't look like that. Like, it's literally just like he drew the, you know, form that the mantle is taking, and then he just applied a plaid pattern over it instead of having the plaid actually conform to whatever contours would naturally form by the ripples and such in the material. So it looks like they're wearing armor instead. Secondly, Chris, please tell me I'm not the only one who thought that the main girl was extending one gun out and then extending another arm behind her back with a second gun. Because... That girl below her, it's coming out right at her hip. And it, 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 every time I look at this picture, it makes it look like she's got a second gun going behind her back. I, like can't, even, I can't even look at it because I'm so distracted at how fucking stupid those guns are that they look like children's toys. And I think that's the point. But they don't look like guns at all. Like, they're essentially just an object that they put a trigger on and they're like, it's a gun. I was like... Shit, the noisy cricket from Men in Black was a more threatening pistol than this. Beyond the fact that it actually was crazy powerful. But, like, the notion of, like, I'm going to give them cool weapons. What did I do in the last series? Swords. I'm going to do guns this time. But I'm going to make Guns that are silly. also magic wands, apparently. Let's <laughs> yeah. fuck off. All right, go ahead. So, we're introduced to our main character... This very kind of serious, dark-haired girl named Noelle. And she's, like, thinking to herself about how awesome uniforms are. Because when she wears a uniform, she doesn't have to prove who she is to anyone. It's like, that's right, you can form. You can form, girl. And then our male lead jumps down. And for the first of about 300 billion times in this one chapter, he tries to look at Noelle's knickers. It's specifically knickers. Yeah, well, because they're in London. Right. So that would be the equivalent of I want to see your underwear. I believe that Knickers is underwear, isn't it? Knickers, yeah, yeah. It's under I, things. I vaguely, I only know that because of the Mummy 2 when they're like, they're having sex in the one room or they're about to and then like the female leads like, that was all my Knickers because they find a bra and then they find like the, the goofy brother is having sex with somebody else and then the Mummy attacks. It's a craziness. <laughs> I don't even remember that scene, but I believe you. Yeah. So, so he she beats him up for trying to look at her at her at her knickers. Uh, then well, she walks into. It, go it's ahead. worth noting he first distracts her with a very adorable dog with a little with a little puppy that's definitely not going to show up in the rest yeah. of the chapter. Osushi, I love that good dog. Osushi. So, but she's not distracted. She beats him up very brutally. Uh, and then walks away and walks into this, you know, old style phone booth and then like fucking get smart. She 
puts a coin in and it, and declares a name and bam bam goes down goes down through it to her secret uh, base, which is this entire like underground world um, with the damage sign at, out front. A lot of stuff happens. I'm not going to go through everything. It'll take too long. There are hollows in this series, but they're called dragons. I'm I'm calling them hollows because they are monstrous things that can take any shape. So I'm well, just going to. I like it because they're at least functionally different than hollows, and that they, they are they they kind of manifest out of whatever is embodied with the negative energy. So like, if a bunch of farmland is embodied with negative energy, it's you know a you know a monster like farmland thing crops up, and if you kill it, it could be food apparently and stuff like that. Uh, while this is going on, we're also introduced to male lead Bargo's uh, friend. Um, I forget what his name is, but he's got a friend, uh, and they're on. Also, Osushi is their friend, and Osushi's cute and adorable and stuff. We introduced the concept of uh, how dragons work, which is you know some of them are just monsters, but some of them are also just used as like you know livestock, and they can be used as resource and everything. Uh, meanwhile, back up on the surface, Bargo is trying to get into the phone booth because like, how the hell did Noel get down there anyway? All right. Yeah. Also, there's more discussion of knickers. Uh, and, uh, then all of a sudden, while Osushi is sitting on Bargo's head, suddenly it explodes into a, into a giant dragon. Um, yep. (laughs) So... They note that like a, a dragon is this this creature that kind of is born from this this sort of rampaging like entity. Like it's 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 like sort of it an emphasis needs to be put in like in the hollow terms like kind of almost like negative energy needs to be there. like there needs to be something that kind of creates these dragons. And they killed this fucking adorable dog these monsters it just explodes his fucking dog and he just carries his corpse around for most of the chapter and the reason that this dog is a fucking dragon is because bargo really wants to see her fucking knickers yes and it's so fucking stupid like <laughs> i i can't i i honestly i don't know if i could come up with a more absurdly like lame reason for this sort of thing like a worse way to introduce your main character there is a giant black dragon rampaging around uh going to kill you and it's going knickers because that was the evil it was born from it's fucking stupid so Noelle has shown up in order to fight it and she's of course really pissed off because she realizes that this is Bargo's fault and she's like I will kill him uh, and then you know freaking Bargo looks up and he's like Noelle's flying up in the sky and she looks really pissed off but even her angry face is cute it's like, oh no Khan finally got a human body permanently god damn it <laughs> sorry I knew it reminded me of something so like their fucking coordinator dude or whatever 
calls him, and his name is Billy Banks Jr. And I was yes. like, why does that remind me? And I looked it up. That's because there's Billy Blanks Jr. who does all of like the boot camp cardio videos. That has to be the reference, right? Like, <laughs> how, why else would it be so close to this? So, Noel recognizes that uh, it recognizes Ots- Osushi's um, body in uh, Bargo's hands. And is like, yeah, it's a puppy that Bargo found two months ago. Bargo loved the little guy. And the other g- girl that's with her is like, ah, it's a disguiser. It's a dragon that inhabits a corpse. We don't see them much. Plenty were roaming about until the 18th century when the city started getting cleaned up. Meanwhile, Bargo's like, hot girl! Ah! Also a dragon. Hot girl! Um, his friend is like, oh my god, look, uh, uh, Osushi's dead. Uh, Look, the monster ate its way out of his body. It's dead. Come on, let's run. And Fargo's like, why? Because there's a monster. (laughs) Um, So they... The guy starts running and he starts uh, running away from uh, Bargo and blonde girl is like, ah, that guy's running. We can't we can't actually let him run away because he's been in contact with the dragon. Uh, and Noel looks down at her radar thing and is like, oh, my gosh, there's actually two signals. There are two readings. And the guy's head explodes off and another dragon comes out of it. And what happens, Chris? Uh, it looks like someone gets their arm cut off. Yeah, almost. I don't think it actually gets cut off because I think we her see her arm it. is maimed. Yeah. And how, what is her reaction to this, Chris? Oh, none. She says crap. <laughs> so they have a fourth division in this one as well. If someone had shown you this, you know what? Not even shown you this because it's very distinct. It's very obviously Kubo's art style. You know, there's a lot of, you know. Uh, strong contrast between black and white. A lot of the clothing and uh, and faces and stuff look like his. So that would have given it away very obviously. But if someone read you a synopsis of this chapter, you would know that this was Kubo's work. You know, Emperor Dian brings up a good point. This series needs to be more British. So when she, she loses her arm, she needs to be like, oh, <laughs> she's like, oh, piss off. <laughs> Oh, you got me gobsmacked, you have now. Go- Fuck, I want this series in the magazine next so we can just do shitty British accents over top of it. So He wants so- to see my knickers. He does what? What? So Bargo's friend, whose name is Selby, fully transforms into a, a, a dra- another dragon. And Bargo's like, oh, Selby? And the, the dragon's like, do I still look like Selby to you? And Bargo's like, I don't see anything, actually. I can only hear your voice right now. And Dragon Subby's like, get out of here, Bargo. I don't need to kill you. I just want to eat those witches and become immortal. And the blonde-haired witch is like, sorry, but that's just an old wives' tale. Okay. Well, I guess that's the thing. Like, uh, whenever they see creatures, they're going to try to eat them because that's, you know... That's what they're all about. Yeah. So it tries to eat her. Uh, and there is a little bit of fighting that happens. And by the way, blonde girl is just like talking casually about stuff while being carried through the air with her maimed fucking arm. 
And so Noel just, you know, talking about stuff like, ah, that used that was Selby, Bargo's lifelong friend. And she, the blonde's like, did he almost die at some point? Yeah, when they were seven years old, a train ran over him. Selby pushed Bargo out of the way and took the brunt of it. Ever since then, then, it must be. And you lot are 17 now. For ten whole years, this dragon lived in the city in contact with humans. Uh, and the dragon knocks them out of the air because they were so caught up in their exposition that uh, they weren't paying attention. Uh, they happen to land literally right next to Bargo. And Bargo looks over at Blonde Witch and is like, Hey, you're Noel's friend? <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, Run away, you idiot. And he's like, No, I can't abandon. And Selby Dragon's like, Abandon her. Oh, Sushi was a dragon, and that girl is about to be my snack, so give up on her. If it's Nihashi you're worried about, no, Nihashi is Noel's last name. Then wait around just a bit because if eating this one turns me immortal, I've got no problem letting her live. And <laughs> way to sell the dangerousness of dragons in your in your story. Plain ass pervert human Bar Bargo. It's just like, no! And gets in the way of its unwinding mouth thing and just blocks it with his bare hands. And he goes, ow! I've got an important question. Maybe I'm missing it. Is this supposed to be a comedy and I'm not getting it? Because it's. It's got there's points to it that I'm like, elements to it. Like there's and points like, to it that I'm like, oh, this has to be like the joke, but then it plays itself so seriously in like the action scenes that I can't tell. Exactly. Like there are definitely parts, especially to, in like the resolution of this combat, where you could definitely sell me on this was meant to be, you know, a comedy. It's it's just a parody of action series like this. But the drama, the you know, drama of like, oh, his best friend was killed, and now he's it's it's hard. It's hard to gauge it, and I think that we're going to need more than just the one shot in order to tell about that. I guess we'll find out eventually, because you know, you know for certain that Kubo is going to come back with an actual series. I'm sure at some point. So, Bargo refuses to back down, despite Selby Dragon mocking him. And he's like, ah, oh, I can't believe you can't even abandon a girl you've just met. Is it love at first sight? And Bargo says, no, the one I can't abandon is you, Selby. And he's like, I'm not Selby. Selby died at age seven saving you. And that was when I donned his corpse and went on living his life. And Bargo makes a very, you know, actual strong point, which is, well, then, if it's been you in there since we were seven, then that means it's been 10 years we've been hanging out being friends, which is longer than the real Selby was ever actually alive. That's like, a good point. That's like a strong point. He's like, yes, I've been biding my time pretending to be your friend for 10 years to maybe eat a witch and gain <laughs> immortality based off of the, the urban legend we tell. It's not like I liked you or anything. I'm like, bro, we we had sleepovers, like a bunch of them. He was just we like, I did enjoy our chats over Fuller House and <laughs> other series, but you know, did you mean I was all part of my plan to maybe eat a witch one day? Also, your dog was evil. <laughs> 
So Bronco's like, you know, before the accident and ever since, too, you've always been so kind. And I never stop seeing you as my best pal. So when you start talking about eating people, I can't just stay quiet and walk away. And Sunbeam Dragon's like, I'll kill you. <laughs> so Noel comes in and kicks him in the face and is like, Bargo, that was actually pretty impressive. Your feelings, Bargo. I hear them loud and clear. And then she takes out her gun and obliterates the dragon. <laughs> and it just leaves like a freaking spleen or something that falls down next to him. And Bargo's like, I, I, the way that this scene was playing out, I thought he wouldn't have to die. And Nini says, what gave you that impression? Anyway, we're done here. And that's... <laughs> that's it, man. It, it ends. <laughs> I will admit that that made me laugh a lot, but I was just like, I'm not sure if it's like undercutting itself or if it really was deliberately just meant to be a comedy from the beginning. It's kind of hard to tell. Um, the way that the whole thing resolves itself is that Bargo is actually assigned to be like in their care because he was in contact with the dragon so long that he is now considered dragon possessed. So they have to keep an eye on him, but they're not, but they're. Uh, they're not going to exterminate him, uh, you know, which he objects to. He's like, oh, the penalty for interacting with the dragon is death. And uh, Billy, what's his name? Whoops, Billy, sorry. Billy, Billy Banks Jr. Not blanks. <laughs> but yeah, he, he says, biologically speaking, those possessed by dragons are more dragon than human. So we got to treat them that way, which means it's your job to conserve Bargo because he's not necessarily a danger as some of the dragons are. He could be raised like cattle, like some of them are. So they have to keep an eye on him to make sure he's okay. And then um, the um, Osushi reappears. It's Doggo! Um, I thought that it was dead. Well, they didn't kill that dragon, did they? I guess that's it. I guess that's it. They determined that it wasn't actually dangerous because it's just obsessed with knickers. And sure enough... Uh, after it appears on uh, Bargo's head, it turns over to Noel and is like, show me your knickers, Noel. And the chapter ends with Noel literally chasing Bargo through the wall after him. And she's like, I must silence Osushi forever while he's running away from her. And Osushi's riding around on his head. And then we get the title of the, of the one shot again as they're chasing and it just burn the witch. Sorry, burn cross he witch. This is some fucking garbage. I don't know. I, if it was, if it was actually less into the serious parts of itself, I might be able to be like, oh, it's like a goofy comedy series, and it's just silly, it's stupid, like, a spoo- like parody, like goofiness, like. It's weird to me because they they make this thing where they're like, oh, he has this cute dog that he loves. And there's a sad story where, like, that he found the dog two years ago. And for the people in the chat who keep fucking messaging me, yes, I realize the dog died in the story. That it's not actually a living dog when he's there holding it in the story. It's already been possessed by the dragon. I've grasped that part. But that he has this dog that he's been holding on to. And then, like, the dog has been pulling on to this guy's negative feelings. And that's the monster. You're like, oh, wow. But then they're like, oh, wait, no, the dog just wants to see her underwear. And then, by the way, your friend's evil. Too. It's like, what? What was that was like a weird, like, juxtaposition, like, pulled the rug out from underneath. I got you. Like, 
This is a one shot, bro. I had no expectations going into this. It, it It's just a very strange series. It's not particularly funny. Like there's moments that are kind of amusing, but it's it. I laughed at it more than I was laughing with it, which isn't a great sign. Yeah. Also, they did 100% need to be more British slang used in this than just fucking underwear. They needed to just be like, That dragon's built like a brick shithouse is! God save the queen, Pip-Pip! We'll see how that goes. Chris, it's time to never learn. Never ever? Never learn. But Nick, we never learn. We never oh. learn. Chapter 71... However, a predecessor is swayed by a certain X. Yeah, however, a predecessor, that thing. Uh, I had to get to the chapter title. So we open in media res. And Uega has just shaved his head and is walking away from a burning building. And we're like, what the hell happens in this episode? Now, actually, he's hugging to Sumi, <laughs> who's uh, in her maid outfit. And he's saying, like, senpai, and she's, she's tightly hugging him. And we cut to two hours earlier. And she's, uh, Shumi's doing her maid service, as I explained before, and your wig is coming along to help because he, he just does it. And a uh, woman's like, I need you to watch my pets. And I, while I head out for a couple hours, I was like, oh, that seems pretty easy. And then they look, and they're like, what? It's not just a cat. It's a bunch of reptiles. Your sexistly is like, I'm going to have to help because she's a dainty girl and she's going to be afraid of all these scary reptiles. And instead, she's just like, lunchtime. Yeah, who's a good snake? Who's a good snake? It's actually really adorable because <laughs> all of all the all of all of the rep reptiles are just like crawling all over her all affectionately and stuff. It's like, oh, I'm sure that some, that many people would be freaked out in that situation. But I think it would actually really be really cool to hold a, uh, a snake that was friendly. And uh, she even teases him again because he acts concerned. She's like, oh, you a jealous boy. Don't worry. I've got pets for you, too. He's like, that's not <laughs> Thinks of issue. him literally as as a cold-blooded, scaly reptile that she has to pick up and feed bugs to. <laughs> so she's like, why don't you go see the animals in the next room? And he's like feeding the aquarium creatures. And then uh, he goes, she, assume he joins in one of the rooms and... He goes like, hey, look, isn't this cute? It's Hammy the hamster. And it's this fucking fat little hamster nibbling on this, like, the, like a, a, a sesame seed or whatever. And immediately she, like, backs up against the wall. She's like, uh, uh, uh. And he's like, what's wrong? Nothing. And he tries to, like, push the, the hamster closer for some reason. He's like, you must not have seen how adorable this hamster is. And it, it leaps you forward. Ega, you idiot. It leaps forward. Into her breast. The, the, look, wedgie vacuums are out. The new thing in this universe is black holes in between women's breasts. Because this is two chapters in a row now where things have flung into women's clothes in between their cleavage. In fairness, at least this time, there was an actual opening that the object in question could conceivably cram itself into and then tug down. Last time, Ogata's shirt was buttoned up to the neck. Well, this time she still has it up. It's still up to her chest. It just lowers when the creature starts nuzzling in it. So it had to pull her shirt down to get to her bosom. Right. It was going into the, it was going into the dark, warm place. That, you know. Sure. 
And uh, she has a scene where she's like, oh, God, help me get it out. It's biting me. He's like, where did it bite you? She's like, why would you ask that? You know where it's biting you, fucking dickhead. <laughs> and then we get to the scene we see in Media Res. I don't know why this chapter started in Media Res. This was not like a crazy revelation. It just was like, oh, he was holding a hamster. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and he, he realizes, like, oh, wow, she has some kind of thing. But then the hamster escapes. Like, oh, no. So they go out looking for it, and he's just like, hey, do you have a fear of roads? And she's like, I'm not afraid of them. I'm just uncomfortable with them. Because one time when I was really young, we did a house call on some guy. He had no family. And the guy was like, I'm worried about my pet mice. Can you go check on them for me? And they're like, sure, Grandpa. And she opened the door, and it was a room filled with mice that I guess had apparently just been procreating over and over again while this guy couldn't like take care of them and it was just a room full of of rats which i'm not gonna lie that is a terrifying sight if you've ever seen those videos of like a room covered in rats or whatever it is like a a nervy sight like the floor moving yeah so she's like yeah it's it's that's kind of unnerving for me and then they see hammy and he's like up on a tree connected to like a bridge hanging on to it and they're like, you know, he's like, how are we going to rescue it? And Sumi says, the only choice is to give up. And we see a bird swooping down to eat Hammy. But eat don't it. worry. Eat it. <laughs> Asumi saves him, snatches him. Mm-hmm. And uh, we found out that that one panel earlier where she said, one page earlier where she said to just give up. She actually meant she had to give up her fear of hamsters to rescue him. And the creature is very excited. And, uh, she teases him a little bit. Then we cut away, and Asumi is relaxing in a bathtub, and she has little steam clouds to cover oh all God. of her unmentionables. It's so gratuitous. And she's like, oh, you know, I shouldn't, you know, Uwake is still here. I shouldn't keep him waiting so long. I should go out so we can hit the book skin. Squeak! And she looks up, and Hammy's there, and he's he's got his hands, his little paws together. He's like, thinking, here I am, lover. And Uega's inside, he's just like, I guess there's something even Asumi's afraid of. It's good to know, I can use that to my advantage. Maybe I can get her to stop teasing me all the time. And, like, I like his reality of this. He's like, hey, 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 are you okay, senpai? Like, saving her from featureless rabbit faces, essentially. <laughs> and she's like, gosh, thanks for rescuing me. I love how Uega's version of her is, she speaks in the same, like, golly gee as he does. Like, gosh, Uega, thanks for rescuing me. I sure won't tease you anymore. It's such an innocent, nerdy way of, like, it's not, he's not even thinking about it in terms of, like, and then Asumi will be all over me. Or even, like, and then Asumi will go out with me. No, it's just, like, and then maybe she will not, stop treating me as a fucking loser. So stop bullying me. <laughs> but instead, she leaps out of the bathroom screaming because he gets a road on. Ah! And then we cut to the very end, and they say, from then on, happy head. Hammy developed a habit of sneaking off to pay visits to Senpai. And it's just him being like, I love you! (laughs) So, what we got from this is that Asumi is a little bit afraid of rodents. And there's a hamster stalker following her now. (laughs) I fucking hate that hamster. (laughs) It's so weird. And I, I really... 
I I really seriously hope that this is not like a recurring thing. I hope this is just like a one-off and it's not like, well, now that we've done this, this is a, a way for us to get Asumi all flustered. So there's going to just be rodents in like every other Asumi chapter. Cause that's not the part of her character that I enjoy. I like the part where she's just constantly dunking on Yuiga. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to have a character have moments of weakness in that. But if you just have that be her thing, then what's going to separate her from Firmino basically. Yep. Okay. That said, let's move on now to Dr. Stone. Z equals 66 liars and truth tellers. Okay. So before it's time to get stone, Chris, Uh uh, I guess we should talk a little bit about the popularity poll results that we got uh, at the beginning of this chapter. What's going on, man? What are you staring at? They just show Kahaku's ass. Yeah. Get over it. <laughs> I have never really, like, before it's always been, like, a delicate thing to be like, no, 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 part of her little skirt thing covers up the eventuals. They just show her ass in this panel. I don't know if I'm crazy. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. It's that, that's, all right, fair enough. You do you, Boichi. All right, carry so, on. Sorry. I, I didn't notice that before when I first went through this panel or, or this, this series. So we first start off with the Japanese poll results. We got, you got Senku number one, Kohaku number two. It's a little bit of a surprise. Gen number three. I get that. Uh, Suika, Chrome, Rory. Uh, who's fucking seventh place? I can't actually see it in here. Hyoga. That's the big surprise, I think. But not too big a surprise. He's the cool, you know, dark Sasuke type dude. Uh, Byakia is number eight. Kiseki is number nine. Uh, then you get, uh, Taiju number 10. So eh, not, 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 not too off from what you would expect in general. Uh, you know, all the characters that, you know, even show up in, you know, the two pages of poll results, like, okay, yeah, you know, they're a character that's been important or has shown up a lot, except for Silphorina, which I can understand that one. She did have some pretty, you know, that, that embodiment of the gas did definitely have a lot of, uh, big, uh, memorable moments. But let's talk a little bit about the English poll results because number one was Sanku, uh, Number two was Kaseki. Holy shit. <laughs> Nick. Awesome old dude. Got his peanuts, Chris. <laughs> Finally got his peanuts. At, hey, he's got people who love him, Chris. That's all he wanted. He wanted people who were his friends. <laughs> oh, and he reached over when he was thinking about the people who smile, makes him smile. He reached over. And he doesn't have a wife, so he just grabbed like a hammer. But he hold, <laughs> He grabbed his hammer and he had a really sweet moment. And I was cry- I was behind the theater like, you cocksucker, stop doing this. God damn it. You know, then we got uh, Chrome, Kohaku, Suika, again, Taiju, Ruri, Kinro, Sukasa. So, so in general, like you know, a lot of similarity between the two, and then really no big surprises. But except for the for uh, Kaseki being second most popular among English readers. So there you go. All right. That said, uh, getting into the chapter proper, uh, Taiju and Yuzuriha, as we kick off uh, Liars and Truth Tellers. Uh, go over to the spy that was sent to monitor them. Uh, and they're like, hey, your name's Nikki, right? You should come over. We got something for you. She's like, no, my job is to watch you guys. 
and I was supposed to make sure you weren't, you know, being suspicious or doing anything in secret. And I was supposed to get myself away, but there, I guess there's no point in me hiding, you know, if you know that. So I'm not your friend. And I don't want to be your friend. So go away. And <laughs> I'm sorry. I just remembered what happens here. <laughs> she's like, so the only thing you're allowed to say is agree with me and just go, yes, ma'am. You can only respond to with two words. If I hear a third word, you're going to be tasting my fist. And Taiju goes, please just listen. And she punches him in the face. <laughs> and of course, it's Taiju. So he just, you know, takes it. And she's like, oh, he just took it. And he's like, I don't care. <laughs> punches him again. And she's like, listen, you can beat the, me up as much as you want. But in return, you have to listen to us because my friends got some important info. And, and presumably, he is actually punched him. You could see the effects of like, yeah, fist hitting him. And he's just like not even missing a beat as, as her fists are landing. Cool little moment for him. So time skip. Uh, they just show her the phone. And uh, on the other end, Gen performs his. I don't know how this is possible. Physical transformation into into Lillian. Uh, does the impersonation of her and uh, Taiju? <laughs> of course, Taiju doesn't know what's going on until he's just like, "Oh, that's that's the American singer, right?" <laughs> so Nikki's like, "Of course, I know who that is, you asshole." Um, Senku introduces himself as Lillian's interpreter, Sebastian, and Taiju's like, "That sounds like Senku to me." Oh no, wait, he told me to keep quiet. Okay. <laughs> He's like a dog, isn't he? <laughs> um, so Lillian says, you know, I'm calling from the U.S. People of Japan, are you listening? It's like, oh, you hear that? We're saved! <laughs> Fucking love Taiju. <laughs> so Nikki is like, hang on now. Lillian was in space. Uh, wait a minute. Don't translate this. I might be really tough now, but back in my school days, your songs meant everything to me. She's actually a super fan. And she just you know, goes on this long little, like, I will do anything for you, Lillian, but if it turns out someone's impersonating you, you, they will know my anger. <laughs> and Ken is like, oh shit, this is both the best and worst of circumstances. God damn. So, um, Gen says, like, hey, you know, Senku, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> you know, things just seem to kind of, like, go wrong whenever you try and help out people here. Um, and Nikki says, like, you know, sounds like your voice is off somehow. And, you know, if it is really you, I apologize, but I will ask you something only the real Lillian would know. How many CDs did you sell in total? <laughs> and again just like okay well there are three options here we could fool her and claim giving pet being petrified gave her amnesia guess or feign outrage those are our options and Seku's like no option four get it right 
and you just perform some calculations in his head. And he's like, all right, this is, this just at, calls for a quick Fermi estimate, a logical approximation. And he just go calculates himself. I was like, OK, the Soyuz rocket would have cost this much equals five billion yen. And then she must have been worth twice that which is this. And so that if we calculate royalties in reverse as uh, to, it's over 60 million CDs sold, but I can't be more specific. So Gen relays this as like, well, we had a party recently to uh, to celebrate passing the 50 million mark, but I'm not, you know, super, uh, I can't be super accurate about it. Maybe we could revive my manager and ask. And Nikki just says, that's about right. So then she says, <laughs> I can't believe this. This is so weird. All right, well, get these numbers right, and I'll believe you. And Gen's like, yes, if we've got Senku's awesome brain here, as long as it's something you can calculate and bullshit up, then we can do it with your Fermi whatever and get it can get it done. What are your three measurements? <laughs> I don't know why this this chapter is so this amuses me so because it's so stupid, but so. Seku's just like, okay, hang on. <laughs> and he's like, well, there was a pic that he sent me, and he's got, of course, got perfect fucking recall because there's no way his cell phone works. So he just got perfect recall based on exactly what the picture looks like that Byakia sent him. And he's like, okay, if I could compare relative sizes with Byakia's height and the equipment around them, uh, 88 centimeters, 65 centimeters, and 85 centimeters. And so they say this. And then Nikki says, well, your public profile has claimed you were smaller. And Sika's like, oh, of course a pro would fucking fib that. <laughs> we're claimed to be slimmer. <laughs> so Lillian's like, well, I just told you my actual measurements. And Nikki's like, ah, oh, but if that were the case, you would never tell a fan the truth. Even in this world, Lillian would remain a pro. You would never toss away that carefully crafted fantasy, which means you're not Lillian Weinberg. <laughs> it's the fucking reversal. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love this chapter. So, um, again, it's like, I don't know what I should do here. Uh, I mean, like. This mega fan, like, I feel like if she heard the song, it would be obvious because she would, you know, be able to tell the difference between the voice. Maybe we should, I don't know, should I, like, try and smooth things over before we do that? And Sika's just like, we're going to play the record. And he just says, look, uh, we're going to, you know, play this nice, smooth playback. And instead of bluffing, we're going to bet all of this on science. And they play the song. And Nikki is, like, transported back to this live concert with Lillian striking a pose like I'm not sure if she's got like some Michael Jackson rods going up into those heels of hers that keep her from toppling over but it would be difficult to strike that pose in normal shoes and she is wearing like five inch heels so there you, yeah. that's, that's a performer for you Nick damn right the power of music allows her to defy her anatomical structure which is actually larger than when Nikki thought it was but anyway so Nikki, you know, remembers back to just, you know, being, you know, like a middle schooler listening to, to music and stuff. And she says, yeah, I'm not mishearing. This isn't a fake. I've listened to this song hundreds of thousands of times. And she realizes Lillian's gone, right? She's lost forever. And Seika says, that's right. And Nikki says, you've revived this piece of her. She lives on through this song. So 
let me ask you a science question. Could it would it be possible with, you know, your ability to like bring back more of her work and get just, like, just say yes, just say yes. And Seiko says, nah, no, <laughs> <laughs> there is no way that, you know, media has survived that long. But I will promise you this, no matter what, I'll preserve this final song of hers with the power of science. And Nikki is openly crying at this point. She says, you know what? You're an awkward guy, but you wouldn't lie about science, right? That's what I'll put my faith in. And she kind of goes, you know, I can see myself falling for you. And Seika's like, yeah, no. (laughs) I'm married to science. (laughs) So he basically just tells her, like, look, if we're going to, you know, flip anyone to Casa's army, then this record's going to be essential. So, and you know what? I know for a fact you're going to, you would die to protect this record, right? So I think that our interests are actually aligned here. And Nikki says, you're right. And you've got yourself a deal. Whatever your scheme is, I'm on board. And I guess she symbolically whips off her cloak to acknowledge that she's joining the kingdom of science. It's cold. You're going to want to wear that, girl. (laughs) It's winter. It's winter. winter. Wear wear the cloak. (laughs) I I fucking love this chapter. I really do. Um, I like the interaction between Nikki and Senku. I love the interrogation by the super fan. And I love that Senku's bluntness carries them through this, despite the fact that they thought that they were going to trick everyone. It's a it seems like a much more, you know, Senku way of doing things. Honestly, it's fine. I, I, I didn't love this chapter. I thought it was amusing, but like having not known Nikki whatsoever prior to this chapter, not even like really having more than like a, a line from her was mm. sort of just like it was hard to really get fully behind it. But it worked. You know, I'm sure we'll get more of her in the future. And she's going to be like a pretty important character going forward then. <laughs> People in the chat. But did Lillian ever win a Grammy? <laughs> The mark of the <laughs> That is the only way to determine whether or not she's a good artist. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's move on then to um Is it Seven Deadly Sins? I don't know how our order goes anymore. It is time for Seven Deadly Sins, yes. Alright. Chapter two hundred and seventy five, together as one. So last time we sort of just continued the whole revelation that Esterosa was actually male. And at the very end, Gauther showed up and was like, hey, it was my fault. And this chapter kind of starts off basically with a continuation of that line with him being like, yeah, it was me, so destroy me. So Mel's like, fuck! And just starts beating the shit out of him and just smashes him, you, you know, going through it. It's just like, you made me hate my respected brother. Offering accepted! Yeah. <laughs> but you made me you made me admire Melodius, that demon as my brother. You stole my grace and my sense of what is right. I will. That's an unforgivable sin, and I'm going to destroy you. And he keeps trying to like break him, and he's like asking questions. And essentially, Gauther gives the explanation we kind of already knew. Like the balance in the war was was a very precious thing. Melodius had just shifted over to the goddess's side. That would have put too much strength on the goddess's side, so they needed to move someone over. So they took you, who you know, kind of gives him a compliment where he's like, "You were an equivalent power." to Melodius mm-hmm. and we brought you in and we made you one of the new demon lords and it was a way to keep the war from you know 
you know, reaching fatal levels and uh, brought the Holy War to an end. And he's like, oh, well, if that's what happened. I'm going to make you feel every one. I'm going to make you feel even one thousandth of the pain and suffering I have. And he's like, what the fuck? Why don't you feel pain? He's like, I'm a doll. This isn't fair. <laughs> and he has this face. Where he's like, you better be fucking kidding me. How am I supposed to enact my revenge on a doll who doesn't even know what pain and suffering is? But then King shows up. And Gather's like, no, what are you doing? He's like, hey, rule four of the seven deadly sins rules. And I was like, are there actual numbers to these? <laughs> and the rule is, when a teammate's in trouble, the rest do everything in their power to help them. And the Esmeralda's, or males are like, good, I can make you feel the pain. <laughs> it just starts going after him. They start having this Gather's like, fight. no, my perfect plan. <laughs> they start having a, a big fight. Uh, you know, Gauther's like, no, I'm the one who did something, you know, just destroy me, leave, leave King Addis, King's trying to do these big attacks, he hits him with Spear of Judgment, and Esteros, you know, Mael's just holding it up with his hand, he's just like, the more you resist, the longer this is gonna be. And we see the other two, uh, Archangels, who are like, hmm, you know, what are we gonna do? Best we better get involved, too. And the one with the multiple faces, I, I can't remember the names of these guys, Tamiel, I guess, Tamiel's like, yeah, we better go back up mail. The other one's like, no, we have to help the seven deadly sins because, you know, what? like mail, they say, like, I know, but he's lost his grace. And due to that, he's awoken as one of the four archangels. And he has almost complete control of the power of that commandment that made him go berserk. He's the most power of the four, four archangels, which is exactly why he's able to do that. But in the end, the power of darkness counters the power of the goddesses. Can't you feel it? Every time he uses his power, his soul is further eaten away by the darkness. So they have to save him as a comrade by fighting against him to keep him from falling into this darkness. So, you know, it's it's basically King and Gout. They're trying to hold on against him. Uh, King's doing a, a couple counter moves. And, you know, again, Gout just like, stop. Why are you doing this? You know, I don't want to lose anyone important to me. And uh, you know, King says... If you know how sad it is to lose someone important to you, then don't go talking about dying like it doesn't matter. Okay, Galther? And uh, then the two archangels join in, and it's going to be a four-on-one fight against ding, ding, ding. male. Pretty cool. I, I like this moment of like the four of them going up against male because holy shit, does male feel like a terrifying figure in this chapter? Yeah, he's, he's, really, he's really been built up too to this point as well. Yeah, he, he has just been smacking fucking everyone around. So, pretty cool chapter. I'm, I'm a pretty, uh, pretty yep. interested to see where this goes. I also really like uh, the two black wings, two white wings look on him. All right. That said, then we are going to move on from there to the Promised Neverland, Chapter 95. Let's go home. So last time, uh, fucking Oliver decided to address the problem of uh, Emma is mortally wounded and desperately needs to be taken back to the uh, hideout that the old man was staying at in order to get medical supplies to help her. Uh, by saying, like, leave the wounded behind, including me. Save yourselves. Uh, and so we get a little bit of a flashback from Oliver's perspective from the time that Lucas first saved him and, uh, you know, treated his wounds. And he's like, you know, even if we run away, this place will still exist. So I want to put an end to this hunting ground. And Lucas was like, OK. And he's like, and Luke and Oliver thinks to himself, he is my lifesaver, my mentor. And... <laughs> yeah, that's the end of the chapter. All right. So 
Oliver repeats the suggestion and clarifies, like, you guys need to save yourselves and save Emma, and there are all of us who are so injured, so you should leave us behind, and that would solve everything. And, you know, you guys can take the shortest route. Everyone else could take the safe route, and that would know, and then everyone would be fine. And if you don't take the injured with you, the Nigel, Violet, they would could protect everyone. And Lucas is like, no! And Oliver says, you helped us. You gave us knowledge, skill, a reason to live, and a family. You allowed us to stay and fought with us. You don't know how much that saved us. You're the closest thing to a father we ever had. To us, you were a lifesaver, mentor, big brother, and a father. And Giselle's like, yeah, we've all decided. And there are other kids like, yeah, from the beginning, we're already prepared. We don't want to be a hindrance for you, everyone, and Emma to live. Please leave us behind. And Lucas is like, no, a real parent wouldn't let you, wouldn't leave, wouldn't have to let you go on and have this vendetta. I, I was just scared in that moment. What do we do after we get out of this, out of Goldie Pond? Do we live in a world full of man eaters? Could we even do that? Our one hope, Minerva may be an enemy and we and that guy might have already been dead oh no no i can't leave you no to even thinking rachel's like we're not leaving i went behind everyone shut up i have the best plan shut up <laughs> and the old man just like yeah emma would never be happy with this so no <laughs> shut up i'll explain the plan <laughs> i'm gonna explain the plan shut the fuck up <laughs> it's time for me to be a big hero first let me kick this table boom look how cool i did guys we're not leaving anyone behind all right, now set that table back up so I can jump over a coal and then kick it again. Ha! I'm going to jump and kick it. Falls asleep. Nobody saw that. <laughs> fuck, fuck Batman. Fuck Batman. Screaming it. Fuck right Batman. Now. It's cool to say fuck Batman. <laughs> my mother told me the monsters aren't real. <laughs> oh, wait, my mother was a monster. I remember because my memories. <laughs> oh, my gosh. DC presents Titans, starring Hashtag Ray, Hashtag Ray, Hashtag Ray, Hashtag Ray, and introducing Hashtag Ray. <laughs> it's just him across the room from each other. You're from the circus. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I am pretty awesome. Thank you. I'm very smart. That's how I knew it was you. Where's Batman? Fuck Batman! Ah, look, I broke that guy's neck. Look, that guy, look so much blood flew on that guy's neck when I stomped on it. It's impossible, isn't it? It's six of them all screaming fuck Batman over each other. Like, fuck Batman. Batman! No, fuck Batman! Fuck Batman! Fuck Batman! <laughs> They're like Pokemon. They're all just trying to edge Lord over themselves. <laughs> oh, God. So Ray says that he's going to go with Nigel and Violet and go with the main group to escort people to the shelter. And he's going to leave Emma in the old man's care and trusting her to take the very fastest route possible. So he's basically going to travel to Elias in order to get to her. So a bunch of the kids are objecting like, no, you guys are still alive now. As long as you're. Uh, oh, no, wait. Oh, it's Oliver's. So like, no, it's still dangerous and we can't move. We don't know if we'll even last the three weeks. And there are kids like, no, well, you're alive now. So we're going to help you and try and help you live. And we're going to help. We're going to carry you. We're going to care for you. So we're just going to do this. And Ray's like, you, always, you assholes can die later. Let's go. So we get. A bit of a montage from that point 
Um, Lucas declares that he is going to be using the last resort and he gives the pen over to Nigel so that he can go activate the self-destruct sequence, which Nigel just knows how to do, I guess. Pretty I guess easy. The, put the key in and it's all self-explanatory. Big red button. <laughs> so they start this self-destruct sequence for all of Goldie Pond. And uh, then we just, you know, have everyone setting out. Some demons are like, what's that buzzing noise? <laughs> uh, Ray kills some of the demons as they're escorting all the people out of there. Uh, the old man is, along, is you know, booking it back to the to the uh, alongside them. And then they split once they're out of Goldie Pond and go their separate ways to take the two different paths uh, with, you know, Ray and the old man uh, exchanging the last, you know, goodbyes. He was like, hey, make it back safely. It's like, yeah, whatever you do. And uh, then the Goldie Pond just like sinks into the underground uh, lake and it's completely destroyed. Um, it's a really cool two page uh, uh, spread that shows it uh, being drowned, basically. Um, but uh, yeah, so of our three main characters, Ray is the only one with the main group who is currently conscious. So, yeah. <laughs> I did enjoy this chapter immensely, though. Uh, it's kind of a cool fitting end to this. Like, the way this arc ends is they literally drop Goldie Pond into the fucking, you know, into the pond itself and just leave it there, leave it there to sink. We get that as, like, the static image of, you know, those stupid windmills in that town just buried beneath the water. It's a very cool thing there. And I, I really do, like, I, we always make Ray into this goofy character, but I actually do really appreciate that it was his character this time that basically, as influenced by Emma, was like, no, I'm not gonna, we're not leaving anyone behind. We can save everyone. And I assure you, Emma would not want this scenario to happen. So we'll find a way to make this work. And I, I appreciate that Ray's picking up that slack. The old geezer's kind of there to, to hang along with them. And it's a fitting because that's what a real shonen hero does. Doesn't just beat people, but saves them and changes them for the better. And it's two different people that she's had that effect on making this uh, kind of just carrying on that spirit of hers. Yeah. And I will note, though, this is now the second major arc that has ended with, well, we can't possibly save everybody. And someone's like, we're saving everybody. No more from it's, here. They cannot do a third arc that's like, well, they can't possibly save everybody. And then they do. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, it's kind of weird. I don't know. It, the way that this played out at once really bugged me and also endeared itself to me because they were just like, you have to go on without us. This is our grand sacrifice. Shut up. We're going. <laughs> It's oh, like, shut up. Stop being just reminding your drama cranes. Chris, have you ever been part of like a D&D &D group where somebody joined the party after the first session and then tried to make the entire adventure about their character? Oh, you mean like, like what I did in Wormwick? Well, but you were already, already <laughs> part of the campaign. Yeah, no, I'm with you. You're already part of the campaign. You just switched characters. But... You know, the, you know, where you start to, like, try and make everything about yourself in terms of how you're playing your character. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you know, like, nothing really important is going on with your character, but you're giving yourself, but you give yourself, like, big important speeches and dramatic moments and and try and frame everything around your decision, trying to make everything about what's going to happen with you. And then 
I've been in situations where someone has done that only for like the old guard basically over and be like, no, stop that. That's not what your character does. <laughs> Cut it out. That's a rough spot to be in when the rest of the party's like, fuck off. <laughs> I've had that happen once or twice in groups that I've been in where someone has tried to immediately become the big shonen hero in their like first act as a character and and just be like, God damn it, I hate you. <laughs> All right. Black Clover, Chris. All right. Give me a second to get to Black Clover. Uh, fuck. Just goddamn magazine. It's so long. All right. Chapter. Or sorry. Page 165. The Black Bulls Charge. So this chapter opens up. In the greatest, so, in the greatest so town in the human in the common realm, Hecaro, and we see three evil mages, evil elven mages, and I guess one of them is like that, the great ice mage or whatever. I I, I think he's shown up before. I just completely forget every time. We see three elves who are just like this town's halfway decent. Let's 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 destroy this and then kill humans i guess <laughs> i don't think they have a greater goal than that but kill like kill all humans and, and people are trying to fight they're like is the cloven kingdom finished oh man i'll purify everything here and then someone's like oh wait someone's coming and the the one dude with earth magic's like hmm reinforcements well they shall not pass and <laughs> His spell's completely ineffective because their stupid bull just charges through it. And there's like four fucking panels of these characters just like, ah, screaming at the screen. And, and uh, Asta and Magnus still have food in their fucking mouths. And there's, I don't know why it's this weird. Yeah, I, I don't know how long they're still fucking eating. And like Rebecca hangs out the window or not Rebecca. Vanessa hangs out the window and like throws all of her, her threads around to try to pull these rocks from falling down. And, and Charmy throws out all these, like, you know, fucking wads of cotton to keep people from being hurt. And we see Gray somehow got out already and she's turning rocks into sand so it saves people. And uh, the, somebody else is like, well, you're not going to save anybody. You can't. We can easily destroy this. And they, they use the surging waves and a whole bunch of water and everything like that. And uh, yeah, a combination attack. And it's it's going in on both sides. And even even ice is going to try to pierce and, and, and basically destroy the rock creature. And the ice dude's like, what? My attack didn't hit. And Vanessa's like, no, something I'm not black, black bulletin. Says it with her tongue out, so I assume that's how it sounds. And I know that this is established to be the power, but fuck, it's, this team's unstoppable. Nick, I think the Black Bulls might have finally surpassed Etchison as being the most broken team in existence. Because they're like, oh, well, we have a dude who can just counter I like everything. how you say they're the most broken team in existence, even more so... Then etches it. Yeah. Not say Gaku, just, just etches it. Because, <laughs> like, think about it. They have the ultimate offense in Asta who can counter anything you ever do without limits. And then Vanessa's stupid power, which is just like, you can never kill us as long as I have magic. And then they have a fucking person out there who can just reheal everyone's magic with food immediately. So, when the Black Bulls is together, no one can beat them, I assume. I don't know. 
Henry loads up these big cannons, and we see Magma, Luck, and Gordon. Gordon, there's his name. They all use their different magic, and it basically is amplified with the cannons of Henry's attack, which is kind of a nice touch. So, like, Henry's like, oh, I, I can amplify your magic because I know you all so well, and I'm so happy to be finally fighting alongside everyone. And I guess they... I don't... I'm trying to think what the point... Uh, like, I guess the blast just hit the people, and that hurts them. And it, like, stops them for a moment, so they're trying to do a combo spell. Well, yeah, the three different blasts that Magna and uh, Luck and Gordon all launched each hit a different one of the mages. And they're like, ah, we're not done yet. Even if you manage to dodge this, the townsfolk are toast. And they all get together and they're like, spirit bomb. <laughs> they use this big thing. And <laughs> they shoot ass out of a cannon. <laughs> Not lethally <laughs> subdues a man by impaling him with a sword at a like thousand that. miles an hour. <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, we're good guys." I'm like, "There is no way this guy isn't dead." <laughs> you shot him like a bullet. I don't care if that sword is nerfed. You killed that man. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. I still don't like Black Clover, guys, but I would be insanely cold-blooded and not being true to myself if I were to claim that the giant castle transforming bull robot that shoots magic spells out of its shoulder and chest cannons didn't look really cool. <laughs> it looks fine. It looks cool. Uh... <laughs> I'm just, I'm sorry. I got so distracted by the end of this chapter of Aston, like, I've been launched into them! And then just holding the guy with this sword and being like, yeah, we did it! And I'm like, there's no way that guy isn't dead. <laughs> uh, I wanna, I almost wanna create, like, a parody series of Black Clover that only I enjoy. But it's all these scenes of Asta doing these things. But it's actually, like, he thinks they're non-lethal, but he totally is like, impaled that dude. And the guy's, like, viscera is, like, falling to the floor. He's like, I did it, guys! I saved the town and everybody inside of it! The one dude's just like, my daughters will never know what happened to me! <laughs> hey, guys! Hey, Charm, you got any more of that food? <laughs> As Asta wipes this man's skull off his foot. <laughs> He's, like, drinking his liquefied brains from the maw of the skull. It's a good thing I managed to take the elf possession out of that guy and not kill him. I'm such a hero. <laughs> oh, my God. This series. All right. Let's do one. Anyway, now that we've decided not to kill our enemies, let's use blood magic to brainwash them instead. <laughs> yeah. Now you elves will know that humans were never the bad guys because we made you think that we're the good guys. Colonialism's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's finish it off with One Piece. Chapter 911, Adventure in the Land of Samurai. Are you okay, Chris? <laughs> I'm sorry. I... <sighs> All right. So I have some very, very, like, just derpy, meme-heavy friends. 
And the, I didn't realize this is chapter 911, essentially. And I just it got, was. I just reminded of the fact that one of my friends is very proud of the fact that he has a bottle of grape soda in his room that expired on 911 and he <laughs> refuses to throw it away. Is the bottle full? <laughs> yes. Oh, God. That's it. That's the end of the story. I just have a weird friend who keeps a bottle of soda in his room. Is this the same friend or a different friend than the one who has a picture of himself on, uh, no, as the No, th- okay. this is Sokshu Sokshu guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's he's a freak. Do you have, like, any normal friends, Chris? Am no. I the most normal friend that, I, <laughs> that you have? You, you very well might be. <laughs> Far and away winning that. All right. And I do a podcast with you. How big of a freak am I? <laughs> exactly. All right. So, the last chapter of One Piece, Luffy washed up alone with the Thousand Sunny on the shores of Wano and came across a samurai-wielding baboon and a lion dog thing that got we're getting to a fight. And Luffy has a lot of, there's a weird thing going on, oh well, reactions in this chapter. Like, so many all throughout it. So, he's just like, ah, it's a wild something versus a wild something. Oh, whatever. Just don't hit the ship, okay? <laughs> he just starts looking around, and he remembers what actually happened in the last moments that the all the Straw Hats were on the ship, uh, which included Sanji calling out to Nami and Carrot to grab onto him so that he could jump them to dry land, and Chopper being like, Sanji, what about us? No, you guys are too heavy. <laughs> Only the girls may cling to me. <laughs> but Luffy volunteered himself to as a trampoline and just like here use my tummy Sanji and so Sanji bounced off and the movie's like all right now it's my turn to escape don't worry Sonny we'll come back and find you later and I want to know if the thousand Sonny has a worried expression on his face while he's saying this it's very small but you can see like the sweat drops on it but as Luffy went to jump away to, to, to safety, the fucking octopus that was on board earlier just grabs onto him and prevents him from getting away. He's never going to be a straw hat with that kind of obtrusive attitude, Chris. No. Not endearing himself to the crew. He needs to, we needed to see like maybe a backstory or something from him sometime soon. <laughs> a tearful backstory. It's great. It's just a backstory is him like losing his hat and like just drifting <laughs> away and him being like, I do love how distraught the octopus looks while he's doing this. Like, clearly, he just doesn't want to be left alone. He just wants friends. <laughs> that octopus wants his peanuts. It's old, <laughs> old people and octopus, the two people that even get peanuts. <laughs> I haven't forbid we ever see an old octopus in, in, this, in one piece. So Luffy was sucked down into the whirlpool that they had landed in, and somehow they ended up uh, on the beach. He doesn't know exactly where he is. So he's like, oh no, and I've lost the Viva card in my hat. It was supposed to be here. I lost it. It fell into the sea. Oh, well, whatever. <laughs> the Luffy's hat. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, then we cut to further inland where there uh, is someone uh, on this weird lizard mount thing uh, with a prisoner in tow. Uh, and uh, she's you know, crying out to him, say, hey, have mercy. I, I didn't say anything. I didn't say nothing like that. And he, Give me back my rice. And I, he's like, I heard what you said. You said you were a servant of the wicked Kozuki clan, which is a serious crime. You'll either be sold to the pleasure district ugh, or thrown in jail, but not killed because you can't kill someone in one piece, Chris. That is true. 
That's why. That's why Nami and Dojiko's mom, you know, just thrown in jail. Fine. She's yeah. fine. She's fine. <laughs> so, um, but uh, they come across uh, the baboon that's uh, fighting with the uh, lion dog thing, uh, and it's also, of course, fighting near a ship. So they're like, "Oh, okay. Well, let's let's go check that out." Uh, we, we found it and there was a ship trying to illegally enter the country. So let's go and investigate. And oh, there's only one person there. And uh, someone on the mount uh, is a sniper and he's got a gun. He just points at the back of Luffy's head. It's like, all right, I'll put him to sleep with this and we'll bring him back and he'll be a good manual laborer. And then just a shadow appears next to his head. He's just like, eh, what's that? And Luffy has no look backhanded him from like a football field away by stretching his arm. It is so cool because <laughs> it's, you know, the stretchy arms equivalent of the no look wah, uh, just back fist. But he has to whip around behind him to do it. It's it's so awesome. It I is pretty it. dope. Yeah. And of course, Luffy's just like, eh, who the hell are these guys? And so the guy, one of the guys tries to take aim at him. So he punches the mount in the in the jaw and knocks it into the guy riding it to knock him out. <laughs> And then he, you know, calls over to the baboon and is like, deal with the Kamino leader. Capture him. Capture him now. No, in fact, kill him. Just kill him. And the baboon's like, ah, with its sword. And Luffy just goes, what? And the baboon's like, oh, shucks. Oh, jeez. Luffy's like, that's better. Bitch. Um, and uh, then the girl that he had taken captive baps him on the back of the head with a club and knocks him out. Uh, but then she suddenly raises her arms up and Luffy says, what the hell are you doing? And she says, ah, it's the surrender pose. I'm, I'm surrendering to you. And we're introduced to her as Otama. And uh, Luffy says, well, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to do anything. And uh, so she's like, oh, well, in that case, this is a good opportunity. And she pinches her cheek. And uh, pops a piece of it off, uh, calling it a millet dumpling, which I don't know exactly what the hell that means. But she then uh, manages to toss it into the baboon's mouth and immediately starts obeying her, just tames it instantly. And so now she has managed to get this this baboon to be on out uh, on her side. Um, so. We don't actually get an explanation of what her Devil Fruit ability exactly does yet, but that's definitely an interesting one, especially in the form that it actually takes. We're just going. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Luffy's just like, huh, you got powers. OK. Hey, so are we in Wano? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, of course, immediately they, they start getting along because they're, you know, allies in this situation. And she explains that uh, her her bodyguard, Komachiyo, the uh, lion dog uh, or Koma Inu uh, is uh, protected her from the baboon when they sent it after her. And that was why they were fighting in the, in the first place, because basically they were uh, the pets of different masters. Uh, but Otama is in a pretty bad situation because they took all of her belongings away and she was captured. And she just says like, yeah, they, they, they did it because I got, I got frustrated when they did that. Uh, and I just, you know, shout out, oh, when the Kazuki clan comes back, you guys are going to be in big trouble. And that's against the law. You can't do that. Uh, you can't declare yourself uh, to be affiliated with the uh, Kazuki clan uh, for some reason. Hmm. So 
she uh, says that she, you know, for saving her uh, because you know she might have never gotten to see her home again. She says, let me you know, make it up to you. And Luffy's like, all right, yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff that I need to ask about. And all of a sudden, his stomach goes. It's like, right, you need food. OK, I'll, do, I'll get you food. <laughs> so uh, they ride off on her new map on her two mounts. Uh, I do like the way that they are introduced, uh, which we get, you know, Koma Inu, Koma Chiyo, and then new friend, Hihimaru. Aww. And uh, so she's talking a little bit about her about herself while they're going uh, Luffy actually f- establishes because we see a bit of a small shot of the Thousand Sunny being left in this like kind of hidden archipelago. And uh, she's like, yeah, they, the bad guys won't find it there. And Luffy says, yeah, thanks. You know, I'm sorry. I, I thought that we had food supplies on board. So presumably maybe they were swept away or something like that uh, when the ship was uh, sucked into the whirlpool. Um, but she's like, hey, you know, uh, it's, it's cool. You know, I'll, 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 I'll go feed you. And uh, they talk a little bit about stuff, and uh, she establishes that because uh, uh, Luffy actually asks, "Hey, oh, you must have a village in the mountains up here." And Otama says, "No, nah, it's gone now." And he's like, hmm? "But uh, Otama says, I just live with Master now, and in the future, I'm going to be a bewitching Konoichi." Uh, okay, I guess everyone in the I guess everyone in this world either wants to be a ninja or a samurai. Good to know. That's how, that's how Jap- Japan that's, world's got to work. That's, that's, that's Japan, right? Yeah. <laughs> just like just like how in in uh, the Old West, everyone either wanted to be a cowboy or an Indian. <laughs> so she feeds him some steamed rice and uh, he you know, eats up and uh, he does. Luffy actually does bizarrely enough kind of have good manners in this sequence um, for him, <laughs> I should say. Because, you know, he's, you know, chowing in. He's like, hey, don't you want any? And she says, oh, no, 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 Kunoichi's got to be light and nimble. He finishes up immediately. He's like, ah, more. And she's like, oh, well, I haven't cooked any more rice. That was the last, and that was the last of the pickles that I had. And Luffy's just like, oh, I was just joking about seconds. I'm I'm full now. He's looking the bowl. <laughs> she's so clearly hungry. <laughs> but uh, she, she, she goes off and. Luffy thinks to himself, you know, she did, she didn't make a, she didn't make a lot for me, but she didn't make it for me. So, you know, I can I, that girl's a good kid. And I, I do like seeing this side of Luffy where it's like, yeah, he's still this belligerent kind of kind of jerk. But people who are nice to him, he knows to appreciate that. Um, then uh, someone storms in wearing uh, this uh, Tengu mask. So immediately Luffy's like, what? Well, oh, no, wait, it's not you. Uh, <laughs> He's also got what looks like big old uh, like angel wings coming out of his back in uh, the few images that we see of him. And, of course, he's also got the big, long uh, clogs. I'm not sure what you call those exactly. Uh, and he's like, oh, who are you? You dare to eat the rice? And he's like, yeah, who are you? I imbecile. He knocks him out of, out of, the, ha- out of, the, out of the house and starts scolding him and I can't believe you did that and Luffy's like hey she made the food for me to eat and he's like why would you eat why would she cook for you do you know how many days it's been since she's had anything to eat and of course Luffy has no idea about this and we cut over to Otama briefly she's kneeling at a river and drinking water and she just you know you stop gurgling stomach you know it's stop being so shameful 
And the man says to Luffy that she weaves hats day in and day out, earning barely enough to survive the day if she sells the whole allotment. At best, she gets an occasional meal of crude millet, except for the two days a year she's able to have rice, her day of birth, and the New Year's Day. I sent her to Market Day to buy the rice for her eighth celebration, so why have you eaten it? But Otama comes rushing back in at this point, and, you know, she begs for forgiveness for feeding Luffy like this, but she did it because he saved her life. So, you know, so she begs for mercy, and she says, oh, you know, I'll weave more hats, so have mercy. But then all of a sudden she starts coughing uh, very, very badly, and he realizes immediately, he's like, you drank from the river to, to, to be quiet your stomach, didn't you? And Luffy's like, well, what's wrong with the river? And he says, the rivers of this land are polluted with the waste runoff from Kaido's factory. For a young girl like her, she might as well be drinking poison. There are safer places she could live, but she chooses to wait here instead for a man who promised he would come back to her. A pirate by the name of Ace. That's still not at the end of the chapter because we established that um, Basil Hawkins uh, is... Uh, on his way of going to seemingly investigate the area where the thousand sunnies showed up. But, uh, wow. So that's a lot, uh, to digest, isn't it? <laughs> There's a lot. This is like the start of the arc. So they're throwing a lot of information in. This does give some different context to different things. There's, um, the scene way back when, when, um, Momonosuke and, um, the older one whose name I'm forgetting right now, um, they got food and they, 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 just ingested it with such kind of like glee like in a proud moment i've seen people retweeting it maybe that gives a different context to that scene that maybe they also have been kind of functioning under the same thing where it's like food's kind of a privilege in this area kinemon that's correct uh where food's kind of like a privilege in this area so it's it's something that generally they refuse so it's interesting to think about different things like that but be honest the number one thing i took from this holy shit basil hawkins gonna be coming and i'm super stoked about that he's my favorite one of the supernovas and i want to see this Mm. more uh right and uh yeah so there seems to be some more like personal stakes uh being added to the wano arc here uh you know the connection that apparently ace had with this place uh Luffy's friendship with this new character with uh, with baby Nami. Um, and uh, yeah, so looking forward to seeing more. And uh, let's close things out then by declaring our favorites for this week in Weekly Manga Recap. Uh, I'm going to give my favorite uh, series of the week. I'm going to be giving to Seven Deadly Sins. I really like this chapter. Mm. All right. I'm giving mine to Dr. Stone. I really like the interaction between Senku Gen and Nikki. Uh, I like the uh, just kind of the, the general like just roller coaster that uh, it, there was going through everything. Uh, the son needing to make stuff up on the fly and then everything just kind of comes out to, to just blunt honesty and uh, winning her over that way. And uh, my favorite character this week is Luffy. Uh, just so many funny moments the cool the very very brief fight with the back fist and everything really cool Uh, I'm going to give it to Ray Uh, I think this is a cool moment Mm. for Ray to show off I really dug it we don't honestly give too much credit to regular Ray because we're always busy with hashtag Ray but yeah alright and that is going to do it then for this week in Weekly Manga Recap 
Thank you guys for joining us. We'll record the show on smashcast.tv slash T and twitch.tv slash T. Thursdays, currently at about 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is the start time. Uh, if you need to stay updated on that stuff, you can follow us at Demember Podcast. It's the official podcast account at T and at Nick F. Time are your two hosts. Check out our past episodes at weeklymongerecap.podbean.com. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes, subscribe to us on YouTube, comment, rate, all that stuff to help us become the kings of the hobby section on iTunes and defeat the woodworkers and end their horrible splintery reign. If you want to send us feedback, ask us questions for a future Q&A episode, or just suggest manga for us to read for the show, you can send all that stuff via email to weeklymagarecap at yahoo.com, or check out our Discord server. There's an entire sub-chat there specifically for recommendations and tracking recommendations and discussing the current recommendation, which is Hina Maruzumo. Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. Your support allows to create all sorts of fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Thanks as well go out to Steve Manor, Tyler Card Artist, and uh, Infamous Planet for the stuff that you do for our show. And uh, that's going to do it. Yes. I didn't get to mention this at the start of the show, and by the time next week rolls around, it's going to be old hat. But okay. uh, my movie theater decided to do to take part. I don't know if you've ever been to like when a local baseball game, like a AAA team does it. Sometimes during the in-between innings, they have like two groups go against each other. So our theaters were doing it. It was also against like a local team. And I told them, I was like, I knew one of the things was like pie trivia. If you get a question wrong, you get pie in the face. I was like, you know what? I don't really care. I told them, I was like, yeah, I'm up for that one. Day comes and there's a new event added. Hot dog eating. Hot dog eating uh, contest. No one else wants to do it. So I'm like, oh, no. Oh, fuck. All right, I'll do it. So the contest is to eat three hot dogs in 30 seconds or whoever's the furthest along. <sighs> So there's three hot dogs, three of us, you know, three hot dogs each. And I'm like, we get water. So I'm already thinking, I'm like, all right, dunk it in the water. Try to get through the first one. We'll go from there. So it starts and I can't see it. But the guy on the far like end for me grabbed all three hot dogs and just shoved them into his mouth <laughs> and thought that was enough to win. But then the guy's like, you have to you have swallow. To swallow. <laughs> <laughs> so he tries to drink water. Does it vomits everything out? Absolutely, yeah. Everywhere. The guy next to me sees it and just gives up. He's like a hot dog and it is done. So I'm like a hot dog and a half, and I'm like, oh, I can just stop now. And the so I win because they're just like, well, he got a he he clearly did enough. I look over. It also happens to be wet nose day, which is the anyone can bring their dogs to the park, and there's just dogs happily going to town on all of this dude's vomiting up hot dogs. So I'm over here doing Hulk Hogan poses <laughs> as these dogs are just devouring this one man's poor shame that he just spewed over everything. That uh, sounds like a Hulk Hogan match. All right, exactly. that's going to do it, everyone. We'll check you out next time at Weekly Monger Recap. Da-da-da-da-da-da. What a story. All right,